0: Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Today's sermon is entitled, Kedging, by lead pastor Rex Johnson. In today's sermon, we journey back into the Old Testament and hear about a man named Joseph. And now, Pastor Johnson. I want to speak today on the word Kedging. The book of Colossians says, Since then you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above. Everybody say, set my heart on things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Say, set my mind. Not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. you believe that? I love the book of Colossians. I love it. I love the word of the Lord. The Bible says, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. But when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. All right. I'm going to talk to you today on the word kedging. And then I'm going to explain it to you. And then I'm going to take you to a a story way back in the Old Testament. That people grabbed a hold of and believed in and saw it come to pass. And if that can come to pass in that day, what we are holding on to today truly will come to pass in our life. Amen. You have to prove it and show it by proof. And we're going to proof text the word of the Lord today. Thank you for being here. Shake somebody's hand and say, I'm going to help the pastor today. I love you very, very much. And you may be seated. God bless. Amen. I like I like you sitting down slow. That means you're friendly at your pew. That's good. <laughs> Columbus Day comes every October. Some 523 years after Columbus discovered America, we still hear, still hear from time to time, the persistent rumors of an earlier discovery of America by a Welsh prince named Madoc. Madoc. According to legends and studies... Compiled by the explorer George Catlin and later by George Rogers Clark of the Lewis and Clark Expeditions, Prince Madoc is said to have sailed to America three centuries prior to Columbus, arriving in the year 1170 A.D. He had over 100 people with him when he landed in America, and and certain evidence placed his group along the banks of the Ohio River Falls. Later many of his people appeared to have been killed and the remnant were thought to have migrated along the Missouri River and over time became known as the Mandans, a strange little Indian tribe discovered by Lewis and Clark in the winter of 1804-1805. The Mandans were also called the Welsh Indians because they spoke traces of the Welsh language and had some of the customs and appearances of the Welsh people in their life. Shortly after Lewis and Clark, they were killed off in one winter by a case of smallpox, so they all disappeared. By the legend, if you like, I share it for just one reason. In the story, Madoc's ship was hopelessly grounded in Chesapeake Bay, according to legend. And after trying unsuccessfully to free the vessel, the prince tells the crew to kedge Kedge on the anchor. Kedging is still known and used today in some areas of ships. A Kedge anchor is different than a normal anchor. It's it's used when a ship is grounded. It's used when a ship is found in turbulent seas. And sailors will row the Kedge anchor in another boat as far as they can, as far as the line will let them From the ship in the general direction they wish to move the ship. Are you listening? They'll take it not to anchor the ship but to drop it so they can kedge the ship back to that anchor. And when they drop the kedge anchor into the sea, once the anchor finds the bottom, the sailors on board winch their way. They turn on an engine and winch their way toward that anchor. It's known as kedging. We don't normally think of moving toward an anchor. We don't normally think of that. Anchors represent the past, and anchors represent things that hold us back and hold us down. But sometimes, however, the anchor is our future. We move toward it in order to survive turbulence or to save a ship that has run aground. Are you with me today? Did you get it? Okay. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, the writer said, We have this hope, hallelujah, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the veil or behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus Christ, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever forever. In the order of Melchizedek, let me explain what I just read. We have this anchor for the soul that's firm and secure, and it enters the inner sanctuary, wherever that inner sanctuary is, behind the veil, where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. In other words, not only does it grab a hold of something glorious on the other side, it gets a hold of the one that's standing on the other side. And we have this hope because we have an anchor that's beyond the veil. So especially in turbulent times, we need to pull ourselves into the future with the anchor of past revelations in our life. How many of you folks... God has ever blessed in your life would you raise your hand you've been blessed come on you've been blessed I want to hear you I've been blessed wouldn't it be neat if you could just put a cage anchor on one of those blessings and say God however that happened I'm going to cage back to that blessing and I want to see what you can do in my life again in 2015 amen Wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be great to just absolutely go back to one of your old healing days or go back in your marriage to one of your happy days and catch back to that and say, what caused us to smile then and we're not smiling now? Wouldn't it be awesome to have that kind of experience in our life? In times like these, folks, in times like these, we need the knowledge of one sustaining God. In times like these, we need strength of his name. In times like these, we need the power of his spirit. The past then becomes the only means into the future. I want to preach today on a subject called kedging. Now, I'm a fixing to introduce a man named Joseph, not a dreaming Joseph in a coat, not a forgotten Joseph of the dungeon, and not a ruling Joseph of Egypt. But I preach to you today about a hopeful. Everybody say Hopeful a hopeful Joseph, looking for a day that would come. And in Joseph's life, Joseph lived in a season of life of hope. He lived in a season of life of faith, in a season of life of love. So it seems right to talk about Joseph during this time. The Jews believe this to be Joseph's millennium. According to the Hebrew Talmud, there are six millennia in the world history as the Jews know it. Stay with me now. The first millennial, the first thousand is Abraham. The second thousand years is Isaac. The third is Jacob. The fourth is Moses. The fifth is Aaron. And the sixth, the sixth is Joseph. And we stand today in the Jewish calendar at 5775 or the last quarter of the 6,000 years of the Jewish calendar. And when the seventh thousand years comes, Messiah according to the Jews, will appear and he will rule and he will reign. And Joseph's tomb was plundered in Shechem several years ago. Palestinians scorched the tomb of Joseph. And to the Jews, it's evidence that Messiah is on his way because Joseph has been discarded. I want to I talk to you today now. I want to I <laughs> preach about this thing called Kedge, And I'm fixing to introduce Joseph to you. But let me, let me talk about Kedge. If I speak of Kedgen today, I want to put a picture up here on the screen. I want to put a picture up for you today. Okay. On the left side is Calvary. Okay. It's the cross. On the right side is the tomb. All right. I want you to notice something, folks, that the cross does not have anybody on it because Jesus is not on the cross anymore. He is off that cross. He has already died for your sins. He has already paid the price. He has already said it is finished. He has already said into your hands commend I my spirit. He has already said Father forgive them for they know not what they do. He's already said I thirst. He's already died for us. He's already off that cross. It is finished. And I want you to look at the right side. I want you to see an empty tomb. I want you to see a tomb where light's coming out of it. If you went and looked in that tomb, Jesus is not in that tomb. You can visit Jerusalem today and go visit the garden tomb and he's not in that tomb, folks. I'm sorry, he's just not there. He got out on the third morning. So here's what I'm going to be preaching this month. I'm going to be preaching that I wish somebody would take an anchor, a cage anchor and would run as hard as they could and wrap that anchor around the tree called Calvary. And then in your depleted hope and your depleted faith, I wish you'd start winching yourself back to the old rugged cross. Because there at the cross, you're going to realize that Jesus died for you. Jesus gave it all for you. Jesus forgave your sins. He washed you white as snow. And I wish somebody would take that old cage anchor and I wish you'd run and hook it around the rock of the tomb and put it in there real tight and look in that tomb and say, he is not here for he has risen. And then start pulling yourself toward a resurrected life. Not just a forgiven life, but a resurrected life. That's what the substance of what I'm going to preach the next three weeks is all about. I'm going to tell you if your faith is low hook on to the cross if if your experience with God is low hook on to a resurrected open tomb because I promise you once you start catching toward it you're going to get environment you're going to get life you're going to get health you're going to get strength you're going to get faith you're going to get hope you're going to be filled with all kinds of joy and that's what it's all about would somebody help this preacher preach right now we need to change our way so we can have a future in our life. Now, what I'm preaching about today is so unique and it's so different. Because I'm going to talk about a man named Joseph. A man named Joseph, who in the 48th chapter of Genesis, the dying Jacob gave Joseph an extra piece of promised land by faith in the city of Shechem. If you'll remember, if you're a Bible student, Shechem is the place that Joseph was sold out to to the Midianites by his brother and was sold down to Egypt. But Shechem is the place that he was going to get back as an inheritance from his father. And nearly 500 years after Joseph died, Joshua, the leader of Israel, would lay his remains to rest in Shechem. Sometimes the future can only live Through the bones of the past. I'm going to preach about a man. That told the children of Israel. You will be able to get out of Egypt one day. Because. I'm going to let my bones go with you. Even though I die. Come by and rejoice. Every day you see my coffin. Because inside are bones. That are not destined to die in Egypt, Micah they're going back to the land of promise, they're going back to Canaan land they're going back to Israel and if people can get excited about dry bones in a coffin can anybody in this day and age get excited about a place called Calvary and an empty tomb come on now, I'm talking about Kedjan today I'm talking about clap your hands all over the house on the eve of this great deliverance. There was bedlam in Egypt. The Passover lamb had been eaten. The Lord had passed through the city. Death had been a respecter of person that night. The firstborn died of man and beast. Death had been no respecter of person that night also for from the slave camps to the palace walls, death had come. Death had only respected blood that night. Where the lamb's blood was found, the Lord passed over. Pharaoh told Moses, I want you to go, get out of here. The people were ready. Turning their backs on 400 years of manual labor, they were going home. Right at two million men and women and children began the journey. A pillar of fire before them and misery behind them. Remember when that was you in your life? How many remember the day the Lord saved you? Come on. We need to have a little audience participation. You remember that day? While Israel plundered the Egyptians, Moses made an important stop. He took a few young men with him and sent them to a specific room and told them to pick up the casket of Joseph. Wow, God, Lord have mercy, I'm getting plum excited. It housed only bones. But Moses said, pick it up, the bones go too. In order to have a future sometimes, we have to catch the ship to the anchor of the past. Let me preach a little bit. The bones that Joseph had in that casket represented the promise of a brighter day. The Jews had to believe that the bones of Joseph would someday leave. Joseph had said so. His great-grandfather Abraham had made a promise in Genesis 15. He said, No, for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. And in the 16th verse he said, But in the fourth generation your descendants will come back here. Joseph knew four centuries that it would would be over Exodus would come Jacob remembered the promise in Genesis 48 He said I'm about to die But God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers Joseph buried his father with Abraham and Isaac and Machpelah Israel knowing he would be back one day Joseph remembered the prophecy and he said himself God will surely visit you And you shall carry my bones With you hence Hallelujah Hallelujah We've heard about Ezekiel's bones, but let me tell you about another bone story. These bones are the bones that didn't stay in Egypt. In Hebrews eleven twenty-two, Joseph gave him a commandment, said, By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning my bones. He said, Listen, kids, there's going to be a departure one day. You're going to have an exodus out of here one day. But when you do, don't you leave my bones. Hallelujah. Don't you leave my bones. I don't care if they've been dead 300 years. Don't you leave my bones. I don't care if they're rotting. Don't you leave my bones. I don't care if you don't like the fact that you're carrying something that rattles inside of a casket. Don't you leave my bones. I don't care if you're afraid of the dark with my bones in that casket. Don't you leave my bones. Because God's going to get us out of here. And Israel for the last 300 years believed that if God could absolutely give Joseph a promise with bones that he absolutely would go home with them that they were going to get out. And it gave them hope and it gave them faith and it gave them peace and it gave them contentment. And Joseph looked for a brighter day because he said, I will not stay here. I will leave someday. The nation of Israel preserved the bones joseph lived to be 110 the perfect age in egypt he was embalmed in the egyptian method his mummy was not placed in some sarcophagus in the king's valley rather his body was placed in a coffin it kept there until it was transported at a moment's notice and moses said we're going to take him out and joshua buried him in shechem and those bones represent a vivid living reminder to all jews in captivity that a brighter day was coming Now let me preach to people right now. Let me say something. I want all the Pharaohs from that day till now, I want you to rage. Try to strike fear in the hearts of believers and in the Jews of that day. There's a coffin full of bones, Mr. Pharaoh, that will say you will fail. Israel, do not weep. The box of bones that you are looking at shouts, Jubilee is coming. The Red Seas approaching, Israel feared, but in the midst was a coffin of bones. Inside was a voice of prophecy that said, I will get to my final resting place. You hear me? That fear is still being intrepidated in people's hearts and lives today, and I feel like preaching right now. We go through seasons where we think that God does not care about us, God does not love us, and God has given us no promise. Bin Laden has come and gone. Saddam Hussein is no more. Yet terror still looms in the al-Qaeda. Now ISIS is looming and fatalist or screaming defeat but I am kedging you hear me this old pastor's is not towards some dead bones but I'm kedging toward a cross I'm kedging toward an empty tomb I'm kedging toward an ascension I'm kedging toward the fact that he said I will come again and receive you unto myself does anybody have some hope in your heart today? Complainers, mixed multitude. Take up stones and throw them if you want. Try to kill the influence of the righteous. Bones will say you'll miss. Complainers complain. That's what they do. They speak defeat to the church. They speak defeat to God's people. Whiners whine. That's what they do. They yearn for the melons of Egypt. They seek the leeks of yesteryear. We have some bones that say we're going to make it. Talk, if you will, of limping back to Egypt. We will talk of marching toward Canaan because the church of the living God is following more than bones on our journey. Let your fear descend to sea level. Our faith will ascend to the mount of God, Mount Calvary. Somebody is going to Canaan. I used to hear an old, an old crippled preacher saying, he used to sing, somebody's going to walk on streets of gold. Somebody's going to live and never grow old. Somebody's going to be healed one day, I'm told. I've got a feeling it might as well be me. Someone's going to go to the land that flows with milk and honey, might as well be me. Somebody's going to have revival in the end time, might as well be us. Somebody's going to see what God can do through faith, might as well be me. Somebody's going to be healed in the name of the Lord. Might as well be me. Somebody's going to be delivered in Jesus' name. Might as well be me. Somebody's going to see their promises fulfilled. Might as well be me. The bones say we're leaving. We're not staying. Calvary said, I still, I still got you in my hands. Amen. Let's praise him right now because we are not staying here. We're headed yonder. Walk past the cross. Walk past the empty tomb A brighter days coming. Not only do the bones represent a brighter day, but those bones represent the Word of God. Everybody say the Word. Everybody say we're begotten by the Word. Moses wrote the first five books. They called them the Pentateuch. It's easy to see how he wrote Exodus through Deuteronomy because he lived in those times. He was born. He was an eyewitness when Exodus was around. His words were Spirit-inspired testimony. But what about Genesis? How did Moses write Genesis? The events, the conclusion of Genesis were 300 years before Moses was born. Eden was a long time ago. Moses got a revelation directly from the Lord. It wasn't face to face. It was, you'll see my hinder parts and my goodness. And when God, saw, when God showed Moses his goodness, he saw the revelation of the beginning. There's a likelihood that records were kept by the patriarchs also of the events of their life, such as Abraham offering his only son or Eden interceding for the city of Sodom. But where were the records for these events? Like in Genesis 25, when Abe gave all that he had to Isaac, or when Jacob received the birthright from Isaac, or Joseph was Jacob's Israel's favorite son. Hieroglyphics many times covered the ancient Egyptian graves. And these symbols tell the story of a person's life. Joseph was an Egyptian aristocrat and no doubt his story and his records of his life were carved on his coffin and inside his coffin. And theologians really believe that one of the sources of the book of Genesis was found by reading the stories engraved upon the coffin of the man that said, I'm not staying here, I'm going back home. So the bones, the bones in Joseph's coffin represented God's word. And when Moses left Egypt, he said, the bones go too. In our pursuit of all God has for us, we'll not leave God's word behind. Can I read a little? Psalms 118 and 17 said, I shall not die. Say it with me. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Say it. I shall not die, but I shall live and declare the works of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ezekiel 18 said it But if the wicked will turn from his sins That he hath committed And keep all my statutes And do that which is lawful and right He shall surely live Say I'm going to live I'm not going to die In the day of technicolor folks God's word is still black and white Some say this book's out of date Are you ready You want me to preach a little gospel here for you Some believe this book's out of date In fact there's some churches That have taken the blood out of the gospel they preach a bloodless cross. They ble- preach a bloodless Savior. But I'm telling you, there's no healing without stripes on his back. There is no salvation without a sword being stuck in his side and about without his dying, and a crown of thorns on his head and beaten 39 times. He bled for us. The gospel is still a bloody gospel. Without the preaching of blood, there is no remission. Are you with me? There's no remission. There's no remission for anything. The only thing that brings remission is the blood of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad the blood still works? Aren't you glad the blood still saves? Are you washed in the blood? That's what I want to know. Are you washed in the blood? Does anybody appreciate the fact that somebody died for us and shed his blood for us? Amen. Amen. The future is nothing unless the word goes with us because the bones go too. I love Psalms 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he's good. His mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say his mercy endures forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say his mercy endures forever. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? I'm going to tell you how powerful this, I'm going to tell you how powerful this word is. Watch this, watch this. I'm going to show you something here. In, in 2 Kings chapter 6, there was, a, there was a bunch of young men that was going, to, was going to build something. They had a house that was too small. The prophets got too big for the house. The church grew too much, so they are going to build another one. So they went, they went to, to build another house. And they decided at the last minute to invite a man named Elisha, a prophet, a double portion man of Elijah, And said, would you come with us to the edge? We're going to go build something. We need you to come with us. Little did they know that there's going to need this man named Elisha in their life. Because when they get to the banks of that river, some kid was chopping some trees down right by the riverside. And the axe head came off, fell in the water, and sank. And he comes to Elisha, the preacher, the prophet. And he says, sir, I got a problem. I was chopping. My axe head came off. And it went to the bottom of the river. But alas, master, it was borrowed. It's not mine. <laughs> and I don't have any money because I'm a preacher. You understand that? Oh, you didn't get that. Did <laughs> okay, okay, we'll, we'll move further. We'll move further. You, you're a little slow because you slept in too late this morning. All right, here we go. Okay, so Elisha said, "You know what, he said, go cut a limb out of a tree and throw that branch where the ax head fell. Take a piece of the tree Take a piece of the tree and throw it where the axe head fell. And when the tree hit the water, the axe head began swimming. It floated to the surface. Axe heads don't float. It went against its nature. Some of you don't praise Jesus 20 years ago. But when the tree of Calvary was thrown into your sunken soul, Hallelujah, you started rising up. You went against your nature, and you're floating today. And people say, you'll never live for God forever. Oh, don't tell me that. I'll live for God till the day he takes me home because he brought me out of a mighty, mighty deep pit. Now watch this, now watch this. So the prophet preached. Now, a few years later, the prophet dies, and he's one miracle shy of duplicating or, or, or multiplying Elijah's miracles. And so they just put him in an open sepulcher. They don't even take care of the old man. They just put him in an open sepulcher. But a few years later, an army was fighting and they come along and is the enemy and they see this open sepulcher and wow, they didn't realize that those bones was the word. I don't care how old this book is, you can't best this book. I don't care how many years it's been preached, it's still good. Healing is still in the book, salvation still in the book, sanctification still in the book, glorification still in the book, rapture still in the book, the resurrection still in the book, Calvary still in the book. Are you with me? And so they threw this body on these bones, and the young man jumped up and started running after him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the feeling of those guys That had tossed that dead man on a dead man's bones But here's the point Those bones housed the word of God And the word of God will never be taken away Heaven and earth shall pass away But my word shall never pass away I feel like preaching about God's book here today Amen Come on, somebody clap over this book right now Somebody rejoice over this book right now. Somebody sing a song about this book right now. Woo, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want want the enemy to know that when he comes against us, it's written in the book that these bones go to. Let me close. Not only are the bones a hope of resurrection, not only they represent the word of God, but the bones of Joseph represent hope of resurrection. The Bible said, if we did not have hope, we'd be of all men most miserable. Hope is the anchor of the soul. You believe that? Why did Joseph want his bones in Canaan land instead of Egypt? Why? Why was it such a big deal? He had a royal tomb in Egypt. His wife was buried there. Why make certain that he was carted back to Israel? Here's a great mystery that should thrill every believer. Here it is. Joseph knew the hope. Of the resurrection. Job the oldest book in the Bible. Speaks of the hope of the resurrection. And Joseph just must have had a feeling. That he needed to be in the proximity. Of others who slept in faith. Maybe he just sensed it. Maybe it was the faith described in Hebrews. Joshua laid his ruins just north of Jerusalem. At Shechem. Later his being buried there would become evident. For as in Matthew chapter 27. I'm not going to put it on the screen. Because you'd get tied up on the screen. And wouldn't listen to me. this is powerful. The Bible said Jesus died. Everybody say Jesus died. And there was an earthquake that took place. And when that earthquake took place, graves burst open. I'm just preaching this book. And three days later, when Jesus came out of the grave, saints came out of their graves. That's in your Bible. And arose and ran into the city. These were called the first fruits of them that slept. Messengers of the great resurrection to come. Out of Machpelah came Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and out of Nebo came Moses, and out of the ancient city of Shechem. A day's journey from Jerusalem came the benefactor of the world's longest funeral possession, which spanned over a hundred years and hundreds of miles. Here came Joseph, but nobody's carrying him now. Joseph came dancing and shouting and singing. Jesus Christ is risen. And they walked through the streets of the city. Somebody said, wow, I bet that would have been weird. You just wait for the catching away of the church. That's going to be real weird. I visited my dad's grave when I went to take my mom. I'm going back to see their graves in just a very few short weeks when it gets a little warmer. But my mom and dad are buried, and I'm, I'm closing Randy. if you'll help me. My mom and dad are buried in a, in a uh, little, little, little cemetery in a place called Marlow, Oklahoma. And uh, my dad, my dad's favorite song in his life was "It'll be different the next time you come, just wait and see." You've got a lot of lonely children, and one of them is me. You know we long to see you. We're never really at home, so if you're waiting to be invited, Lord Jesus, please come. Daddy sung that song with all his heart. Mom used to fuss at him. She said, you're singing it in too high of a pitch. And he'd say, that's why I'm singing it, not you, Geraldine Hush. Let me sing. It's my song. But when I buried my mom, it was a cold, blustery, rainy day. (laughs) And I looked at this little lonely cemetery outside of a town of about 5,000 people. And I looked up and my wife was standing there and I said, Lord, do you really know where these people are? This is Marlow, Oklahoma. Do you really know where they are? Can you find this spot? And I smiled. Because the one that was on this side, mama's going to be on his heart side. The one that was on this side, always saying it'll be different the next time you come. My daddy died with the same kind of hope that Joseph died with. With the same kind of faith in the word that Joseph died with. In fact, he said, son, if I die before the Lord comes for the church, he said, I'm going to be awfully disappointed in him. Because I always wanted to go up with the crowd. Then I said, Dad, but you'll get to go first because the dead in Christ are going to go first. I know that I'm, I'm a little weepy today. I'm thinking about Dad, thinking about Mom. But I promise you this. Let me promise you something. There's no place where somebody can bury someone that God can't find his believers. God's going to find his believers. If Israel can get excited about some old dry bones that for 300 years had languished in a casket, don't you think the Lord knows where his chosen people are? And it may be the loneliest cemetery in a little town outside of a one-horse town in Louisiana, or it may be on some little old hill in South Dakota. God knows where his kids are. I have hope. I have hope. And it's not deferred. Hope is going to be preached in this pulpit all this month. We got a Jesus that took our sins to the cross for us. We got a Jesus that said it's finished. And hell said, oh, snap. Because hell couldn't conquer the cross. We got a Jesus that was buried, but he didn't stay. He just had a borrowed tomb. He didn't stay there. He came out of that grave victorious on the third day. And we got a Jesus that ascended. Fifty days later, 40 days later, he ascended and got out of here. We got that same Lord that says, I'm coming back to get you. And every time hell hears one of those messages, he says, Oh, snap. Off foot. Mm. hope deferred maketh the soul sick but the book says and I wrote it down but when the desire cometh it is the tree of life so I close today with this message Hebrews 6 says by two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie we might have a strong consolation. We have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into the into that within the veil. Bible calls hope an anchor. It's not behind us, but before us. Like Prince Madoc, we're hedging our way to glory, pulling our way to heaven upon the promises of the past. I am one preacher that still believes the Bible is real it's still God's infallible word and we're going to trust it amen anybody want to give me a big old amen right now amen. Amen. why don't you clap your hands real big clap your hands real big glory For all you that thought I was going to be gone today, let me me assure you, we're not, we hadn't gone on our trip. I thank you for the beautiful trip the church gave us last week. We will be going in June on that little trip, and many of you will be on vacation, so if you want to plan your vacation while we're on ours, it's the first of June, okay? We're not going away. This is the greatest time to be in the pulpit right now. This is our hope time, amen? Everybody say, hope thou in God. Hope thou in God. He's our hope. He's our refuge. Stand to your feet all over the house. Bow your heads and close your eyes. You're awesome people. People that I am privileged to preach. And that concludes today's podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.